This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 517 for July 13th, 2016. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and I do not resemble a Pokemon in any way, so please stop trying to catch me. That's all I ask. You don't bother me, I won't bother you, okay? Let us all live in our own way, our own peace in our own way. Isn't that right, Macworld Executive Editor Susie Oaks? Um, no, go ahead. Catch him. No. I mean, you have to catch them all. I know I look like Pikachu, but it's just an unfortunate resemblance. Catch them all. People keep throwing balls at me. I keep. Are you playing? Are you playing Pokemon? No, I showed my kids, and then I realized I was introducing them to crack cocaine, and I decided. (laughs) Well, it's funny. Are they already into Minecraft? They like Minecraft, and they they've played. uh, They've done the Pokemon card game. They just got. hooked up on magic again my my older son went off to oh. uh, sleepaway camp with uh, some of his buddies and uh magic was a big deal there and they kind of died down in the magic phase because it's you know magic is for millionaires <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you can spend it's so all much a racket. money it's all it a racket and there's a new set you know new game uh new series coming out so um or whatever they call it and um I've been a sucker for the Star Wars stuff. Like I just can't help buying him like anything that has Star Wars. So it's like it's all a racket. It's it is. Well, the ga- the card game things are interesting, especially as there's this transition. Uh, I shouldn't say transition, but this bleed over into computer games and augmented reality. I think is actually going to be a part of that. I've I've seen some examples of things where you get cards and then you use a yep, smart device, an right? App, yeah, 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 and that's kind of cool. So if something comes up on the card that you could only see if you have the app because it's got a code that the app interprets, as opposed to being some kind of you know graphical thing or something anyone can access. Yeah. So, that, Those are know, cool. And then sometimes there's a game and then you get uh, – there's other toys where like there's a game on the app and then you get the toy and then you get a special like character in the game. And Oh, yeah. Was that uh, – who was that? It wasn't Disney. Was something got discontinued that everyone was unhappy about because it had uh, superheroes or um, – I didn't do this. You bought these figurines and those yeah. – you could play those in the game. Uh, they had different effects. I know I'm so I'm so up on the games, but uh, but I, I mean the card game thing. The thing you like is it brings kids together to play. They have to develop strategy. It's interesting, and I'm not going to deny pe- my children fun. But the cost for those listening who don't have children and don't do the card game things, the idea is that the you know you need better cards to win yeah. more reliably. And you can buy cards and trade them, but a lot of kids buy these packs and you buy bazillion packs and you hope a card is randomly in there. And if you don't get the golden ticket, you can wind up – so kids who don't have as much money to spend aren't as dedicated, wind up with bad decks. They have a bad experience. They drop out. And other kids wind up – you know, it's like a um, an addiction. Oh, yeah. it, it really yeah. is like drug well, dealing. One of my friends who's like, you know, my age, like plays it. And it seems like, yeah, a lot of, of money and effort and time. It looks I mean, fun. it's a cool hobby. It yeah. does look like a lot of fun. Like she goes to like, you know, meetups and conventions and stuff. And they will also go play at the local comic book shop. But like, you know, they'll go to L.A. for the weekend and play in like a big tournament. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's the thing is it's nothing. I have nothing at all against the games. And actually, I like my kids uh, having to you have to learn, you know, social skills. And then if they go off and they play tournaments or regular week games. We t- you know, in the past, we've taken them for both Pokemon and magic, they have to deal socially with people different ages. They just did this, um, it was a pre-release game at a place we really like. It's uh, called Math and Stuff, which is a wonderful name for a store. And they sell, they, it's, I think it was founded by a teacher, and they sell um, supplies for teachers, you know, like you get dice and math games I and stuff like stores. that. I love those stores. Those are the best stores. And they they have the coolest stuff. Super serious about board games and card games, and they have a little annex. It's kind of like a, you know, an air-conditioned <laughs> little warehousey space near their main store. Anyway, my kids went there, and uh, my younger son, who's nine, was playing with. He's like, I was like, who did you play against? Oh, so and so. I played against the oldest person there. He had a beard. Was Rex's comment, well, and um, he played against. You know, the guy, this guy is actually a, a magic judge at tournaments. And Rex and he played together. And I was like, did you learn any strategies? Like, no, I learned to not play against adults. I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't miserable. It's just he knew he couldn't. He couldn't beat the guy because the guy is a master. Um, but still, it throws you. It makes kids have to. Uh, get that kind of experience. And um, Pokemon Go, this has been my contention about uh, Steve Jobs' brilliance from the introduction of the iPod as opposed to the Macintosh. The iPod was a weird product in the cool world in that you didn't it didn't get less cool if someone older used it. Like, <laughs> so you could be 5, 15, 25, 35, 55, 95. Everyone, you're, you're a really uncool parent 
could be using an iPod and it didn't make it less cool to teenagers. And I think that is almost unheralded. And when I look at Pokemon Go, the reason we've talked about it a lot because it became a phenomenon so quickly and it has security and privacy implications and we're interested from the gaming aspect. But I also think Pokemon Go, it's not that people, you know, some number of people 50 and over playing it, I'm sure, but it's nostalgia for some people and they're going out and playing it and they're in their 30s and 40s or, or, you know, really even 50s. And then you have kids who've never, this is their first experience with Pokemon, or they may have played the game, or they may know the cartoons, and you have something that spans easily, let's say, 40 years, if not 50 years oh, of yeah, age. absolutely. And it's not less cool to the 17-year-olds you're out there. And I keep hearing co- uh, comments from people who are like adults out with their kids or adults on their own, and they're, everyone's like, hi, fine, what'd you get? I got, you know, I got a Charamander, I got a Pika, you know, the Evolution, I'm doing, you know, oh, where's the gym? And um, my local convenience store that's a few blocks away, they stuck up a sign that said, we are a Pokemon gym. I've been reading all this great business advice about, okay. Yeah, get some lures, yeah. like do this, do this. Right. Yeah, totally. So I think it's kind of cool. So Macworld has run a bunch of articles. If you're trying to get into it or understand it better, just, you know, just to understand what the hell is going on around you <laughs> or if you want to play it i mean it is pretty fun if you have the time it's and spreading inclination. out now too like since we posted our beginner's yeah. guide it launched in canada and it launched in the uk i think it was the uk first and then canada so if you didn't have it right away you might have it now um and it, yeah it's it's not too late to jump in um but even if you're not gonna play and you still just want to find out what the hell everyone's talking about <laughs> It is Which weird, is though. me. I'm, I'm not playing. I just don't really have the time right now. But it might be fun. Like, maybe this weekend I'll jump into it and take my son out for a little walk and we can get out and Bring that backup around. battery. I just, we've reviewed a bunch of backup yes. batteries. Make sure to bring a backup battery because it drains power like nobody's business. Oh, mother. I mentioned, I think last week or maybe the week before, I'm too. Running is, iOS 10 as well. So, oh, like, geez, I always have a backup battery. Living on the edge. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, um, when I'm walking around, if I see somebody with a back of battery right now, it's like, you know, they're playing Pokemon Go. It's just basically, and I think I mentioned this before, it's it's because um, they've already figured out that yeah. they need one or they can't play it. But yeah, I, if you see like the lightning cord come out of a pocket and then go back into the pocket, that's, exactly. that's how you know. Or people balancing batteries and walking around and practically walking to yeah, traffic. Or they're just hanging from the bottom of the Oh my God. But, it, you know, people, there's a lot of backlash to this. People are like, oh, get a life and whatever. And I'm like, it's a game. It's, you know, some people are staying and inside. it'll go away at some point. You know, I doubt in a year from now we're all going to be like still in this craze. So just sit oh, tight. It'll die. Yeah, it'll die down. There's no way this can maintain. There's been no fad that's maintained this intensity. And it's really fun that everyone's getting involved. There'll be some lower level of activity, but um, I think uh, there's this the backlash is odd because it's okay to sit inside and watch sports all weekend, right? But it's not okay to go outside well, and look at your I don't phone. Have to see you exactly. <laughs> well, it means public places. It's basically you know this instant flash mobs, right? Is everyone suddenly yeah. goes to a place or this a gym? Uh, and I think that bugs people. I did see a funny sign. Some of my, I had uh, some back and forth with some friends because. Uh, I, th- I think this was somebody, I don't even know if it was real, if someone had posted on their own property, but someone posted a picture I of the sign. Yeah, it was, it was, um, this is private property. I don't care if you're playing Pokemon Go. This is for tenants and residents, uh, you know, visitors only. Do not play Pokemon Go here. It's like, I have lived the, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And I have lived through any list of Crystal this, this, Pepsi. The Crystal Pepsi, uh, 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 hammer pants, uh, you know, just this long <laughs> list of things. And this is by far, you know, go to the corner bar, have a drink, think about your life and and some people were like well this is you know this is another person hammer decro- pants are back they sell those to women oh my now gosh. they call them uh, harem pants oh jeez but this is a guy I mean some people were criticizing this person saying look you're raining on other people's parade and I'm like well no he has a specific he introduces with a specific complaint people are invading his actual property and I'm like so that's cool now you can complain you can say get off my lawn and I hate this thing because of that if it just said if you just posted the sign without you're invading my property then you're a crank and a, and a killjoy but I think he was allowed to rant because people were bugging him. Yeah, it sort of made it funny. I had more sympathy for him because he made it funny. Oh, yeah. If you make me laugh, then you can be a crank. Exactly. I think uh, the bad cranks are the ones who just don't want anyone else to have any fun. He's like, I want to have a little peace of quiet in my property. He's like, this is just stupid. It was a great great list, though. It wasn't all like, you know, left wing or right wing. It was this very funny mix of of things that he found uh, ridiculous over over time. Some I didn't recognize. Uh, so Pokemon Go. Um, but wait, if you have extra lures, um, oh yeah, someone this tweeted a- this, and this is a great little public service announcement. If you're going home, you know, you're 
your Pokemon out for the day and you've got some lures, I guess, are a thing, um, drive by your local children's hospital and throw a bunch of lures over there because there are kids who are like sick in bed who want to be able to play but really can't get out and get around. Um, so, so, yeah, do that. This, yeah, well, this <laughs> if, you, is, if you would, and they would really appreciate it. It's really sweet. It's uh, the lures you can, if you drop a lure, I forget how you get them. Some things I know you pay They'll for. draw monsters to the area and the kids will be able to see monsters, you know, catch monsters nearby. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you pay for lures. There's, I mean, that's the end game. I think you can buy them. Yes. People don't talk about the payment part of Pokemon Go because you can play it without paying. And I haven't, I didn't, I played enough to understand it. We have an article that's how to dominate without paying money. Excellent. We'll that up. Excellent. Some, uh, Pay you know pay to play games or or free to play rather games are um are very irritating that way. There's usually some tricks you know some tips. To... Oh, yeah. To rewind one second though, the thing uh the thing is my kids and I know this is a uh, something we will talk about in the future too is um is my kids don't have phones or electronic devices of their own. They have some stuff they share in the house, mm-hmm. and at some point we'll probably give my older boy needs to get some kind of phone because he's going to be more free range, and we want him to have some kind of lifeline not to track him necessarily, although we'll probably track him. Uh, but also to know, uh, you know, what's going on or just be able to check in and, and change plans. No, that's and, smart. And How get, old is he now? 12? He's, he's almost 12. And oh, there's, he's ready. There's no pay phones anymore. Like if there are pay phones out there, we can send no, them off with aren't. quarters. No, they need one. It's the times. Yeah. It's not. It's... And it's just, it's good. But so the uh, the thing, um, the Once thing is. Once inactivities where you're dropping them off and leaving them, I think that, you know. Yeah, the Pokemon Go thing, though, you really need your own dedicated device yes. with cellular access to make it work. You can't really share it with somebody else. And, and you it's can't. not an iPod touch thing. And if, you have, yeah, if you're you a single parent and a single child, you might be able to make it work. But then they're going to want it all the time. So I showed my younger son it. And he was like, oh, my God. And he caught something. And he's like, can I play more? And I'm like, oh, I suck. I suck. <laughs> I held the big shiny ball. My wife is like, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I made a really big error, but I knew he would be hearing about it. I wanted to show him it. And then I realized I'm just, you know, taking the ball out of the sand. You wanted to be cool dad to be uh, like, I know about this cool thing. Like, let I me know. teach you. I know. You it's had just your tricky. shining moment. It, if we, if there was too more. too close to the cool dad son. I know. Oh my gosh. Just my wings, my Pokemon wings melted and I've fallen back to earth. My poor son. Um, the, the thing is, because you can't just use Wi-Fi with it, unless there's, you're in like a Wi-Fi city, uh, if there were more Wi-Fi around us, I mean, I could log into um, Xfinity Wi-Fi, which is not shared network part of everybody's service if they haven't disabled it, if they're a Comcast customer. Um, there is some of that. And then you could walk around a neighborhood and at least pick up Wi-Fi. But I think the joy of Pokemon Go is you're working over a larger territory. So yeah. you just you have to have a cell to make it really be effective. One more thing about kids, though. Uh, you mentioned the uh, drop lures at Children's Hospital. There's a beautiful article in the Seattle Times today, which we'll link to in the show notes, about Pokemon Go being used in like a burn, you know, pediatric burn ward recovery. And it's like, oh my God, could you be any more like heart rending oh. to talk about this? But it's it gets the kids that doctors this are like. It's been out for like a week too. Can we like just mention that this game launched like two weeks ago? I know, but ago? it's so. But the fact that it's location based and it's so immersive, even even though it's only augmented, it's like, you know, it's mapping plus augmented reality. It's not entirely even augmented reality. Parts are and parts aren't. Um, But the doctors are like anything where the immersion into the game exceeds their perception of pain or discomfort is helpful in healing. And it means, Mm -hmm. and because they will get up and walk and do stuff, it pushes them in a way that they may not have the motivation to do, but now they need to get up and do something. So like it decreases the time in the hospital. I mean, yeah. you know, they're not saying Pokemon Go will cure kids faster, but it's more like they know that anything gets kids moving, gets them yeah. motivated. Like gets physical enough. therapy hurts. So you don't yeah, want exactly. to do something that you know is going to hurt. Exactly. And this is lets them overcome that. And uh, the happier you are, the less pain medication you typically need. So there's less palliative care, which means fewer side effects. So beautiful thing. One other thing I saw, uh, at least one autistic parent, or autistic parent, oh, parent of an autistic viral child. Facebook posts about the the autistic kids. Yeah, and I've oh seen you know, Steve Aquino, so who's good. written for Macworld and writes for uh, iMore and some other publications about, uh, um, he's a, been a paraeducator in the past and he writes a lot about uh, accessibility issues. Yeah. He was working with autistic kids and he wrote this piece that uh, for the magazine years ago that went kind of viral uh, because uh, it was about using the iPad mm-hmm. with uh, guided access with autistic kids and how kids who were otherwise not very interactive or had difficulty with all kinds of social and other behavior, the iPad was such a motivating factor. It helped them uh, with their interactions. And Pokemon Go seems to be a similar thing. It's a different modality. It's a different way of interacting and it helps. It's just so neat that that can help. 
Yeah, there was one really great Facebook post from like a mom who took her autistic son out and he was interacting with other children like through Pokemon Go and just, you know, making these leaps and bounds like, you know, uh, advancements just just in the in the normal course of playing the game like it wasn't something where they were like okay like we're going to go play this and you're going to you know make eye contact with five people like he was just organically engaging with people in 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 a way that she hadn't seen and she was really you know moved by that so so yeah if you know it's i'm i'm a very get off my lawn kind of person just naturally so um yeah like sometimes when you hear the backlash you know it's nice to also get these stories of of a game you know bringing people together and getting people outside and you know even if you're not changing the world you're you can still be having fun so it's true well speaking of here's perfect segue speaking of viral stories changing the world having fun and children what's our next story Susie? Susie, booyah swift playgrounds uh your oh, article yeah. your article on swift playgrounds uh we talked about um that with fraser spears uh, a few weeks ago he came on to discuss, uh, he's a, a educator, he's a head of secondary at a school in England, and he came on to talk about um, how he thought it might fit into the pedagogy that they do and just as a tool in general. And uh, But you, we hadn't had kind of an official Apple briefing, and you were able to go meet with Apple, have them run you through its paces, talk about um, their direction. Then you wrote up this terrific account of both what Swift play- Playgrounds can do and also the way in which Apple's envisioning who it's going to be for and how it might be used. And uh, this guy you might have heard of named Tim Cook liked the story apparently. So little virality there. Good work. Oh yeah, Tim Cook tweeted it. Tim Cook that was kind it. of a cool like secret moment for me because like a few days earlier he had tweeted um, Mashable did an awesome story about accessibility that was mm, just yeah. just beautiful and it got widely shared and he had tweeted that. And I mean, I followed Tim Cook on Twitter. I don't read every tweet I just kind of you know when I open up the Twitter I go to the top and read what's going on but I had seen that one and I remember seeing it and thinking like oh it's a great story like I'm so glad that Tim Cook tweeted it like wow that must be really cool to like write something that Tim Cook would tweet and then the act- the next thing he tweeted was something that I had written so that's that was a little Oprah secret action going on but um, we'll yeah that have, was really neat you'll let you you know brush your fingernails against your shirt for a moment and uh, but I think it's I think it shows it's again like there's been a lack of i think public focus on kids and computing for a while not that people have been ignoring children or selling stuff to children or making games for them but i love the fact that two of the biggest kind of apple world stories right now are pokemon go which is also a you know a big much bigger story and swift playgrounds that people are so fascinated by in the developer community and the larger community where you know um I think there was this debate going on a few years ago about like you know should you teach kids coding in school i think the debate continues I think it's almost over, though. I think it's almost absolutely clear that the future isn't that everyone is going to code, but everyone needs to understand how coding works. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. to be able to have the mindset because we're all going to be working in everything. I mean, and people would say in the past, well, blue-collar workers, all they're doing is you know, they're uh, cutting carcasses up or they're doing some repetitive thing. It's like the transition in a lot of jobs is going to be um, – robot uh, augmentation where you're going to be working alongside computerized systems or robotic systems and you're going to require i mean america's education level has gone up over time the number of people with various levels of completed education is higher and higher than it has you know ever in the history and uh, there's going to be jobs that actually meet us instead of people having to work below their you know intellectual and and capability and interest in what they do and there's going to be fewer jobs that are purely brute force things where there people are treated like horrible cogs in a yeah. interchangeable system. So, and the more you code, like the way you move out of the out of jobs that are very repetitive, not that programming isn't repetitive, uh, <laughs> is that you have, you gain knowledge of things that lets you do more abstract manipulation. So anyway, I just love that there's this interest in Swift playgrounds that seems to go beyond just, um, just folks who are, you know, purely in the developer world or purely in the pedagogy world. That's right. Cool. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's a really good value into learning this just because it teaches you a new way to, you know, think about problems and take them apart. It's like how algebra kind of teaches you to like do math backwards. You know, you're starting with the answer sometimes and trying to figure out the parts. And like, not every kid that learns algebra is going to be a mathematician. Not every kid that picks up the violin is going to, you know, be a professional musician. Not every kid who plays basketball 
basketball is going to the NBA, but there's teachable moments in all of these things. And what Swift Playgrounds does a really good job with is that it teaches you, like it's fun, so you're having fun, and I wanted to keep going and keep doing lessons, but it's also like showing you like, okay, look, you just took this thing and you found a pattern and you're, you're looking for patterns that you can automate and loop and you're looking for, you know, a, a few steps that you can combine into a bigger function. And so it's teaching you kind of ways to break down problems and look at that and look at them. So even if kids don't end up, you know, coding, it's it's still like a cool skill to learn just because it's stretching muscles in your brain that you might not, you know, already be using. So it's aimed at middle school kids. Um, it's it'll be good for adults. It's it's open. So, I mean, if you get stuck in one thing, you can go on, although you keep using the things you learn. So it's probably best to go through it straight through. But it's it, it does a good job of kind of making analogies to real world things, you know, following a recipe like uh, you know, planting a garden was um, four loops. You know, you, you do one step like you know, one series of steps many, many times. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. So it was a cool story to write. And I think that we're going to follow up um, in the fall when iOS 10 launches and um, when, you know, then school will be in and we can we can talk to some some teachers and some classrooms that are going to be experimenting with this it should be yeah it should be uh great to see when it's actually shipping because i think you noted this there's a one lesson now which is actually pretty extensive but there's a second package coming right that's the yeah. in, uh, by by release date or in the fall after they said release. that would be there in release so the that's you can great. play it now if you get the iOS 10 public beta they'll just put it on your home screen it's like this little swift bird and i was searching for swift oh, and i couldn't I find it search for playgrounds it, it, this, uh, exactly i did the whole thing i upgrade them like i have my 64 bit device I'm like wait oh, where is it i had a yeah. lot of apps on there and i was looking everywhere for it it was really embarrassing glenn i emailed the pr person that oh. i was working with and i was like i installed the beta and i can't find. it was one of those things where you try to find the solution and then as soon as you actually ask the question like the solution's right in front of you and you're like oh but you had to ask someone before you could see it so I asked her I immediately saw it like emailed her back like I found it never mind like I felt so stupid <laughs> oh no it's it's to well you are she was nice about it but I was like I was searching for Swift and it's under playgrounds you are not they, the they only person you're not the only person to do yeah <laughs> Thank I know you. I feel vindicated well, no I do the same thing I'm like we're I actually was I queried for Asia Spears before we talked. I'm like, I, okay, I've upgraded. I've installed. I can't like, find what it. What am I doing wrong? And like 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, there it is. And he's like, okay, it's called. I'm like, no, no, I found it. Uh, yeah. So look <laughs> for the bird. If you install the iOS 10 public beta, look for the bird, search for playgrounds. Then when iOS 10 launches, they said it's going to be in the store. So it'll be a free download in the I store. See. Oh, that makes sense. Because right now, yeah, pre-release, they have an issue with apps is they don't really have a beta app store in the same way yes. that- uh, that they do. Yes. Well, Swift Playgrounds. Um, but it's iCloud-based, so if you're playing with it in the beta and then you upgrade from the beta of iOS 10 to the shipping thing of iOS 10, like, I don't, it should just stay on your screen, but if it should happen to disappear and you have to re-download it from the store, it'll have all your stuff in it already because you kind of like, oh, you, yeah. you download these lessons and they live on a little shelf that kind of looks like iBooks. And the cool thing about that is you can duplicate them. So like you have two children, you download the first learn to code lesson, you can duplicate it and they can each work through on their own and then like if so and then if you're doing one and you're like, oh, that's really cool, but you want to start over, you can reset it. So you could duplicate it and then it would duplicate the, your progress as is. And then you could reset the duplicate and, mm -hmm. you know, someone else in your household because there aren't actual like user accounts. That's been a thing like people have wanted user accounts on their iPads. There are in an education setting, but not in a, a home setting. So that that's kind of a way to if you have multiple children, you can download one lesson and then duplicate it. And each of your kids can work through their own copy. Yeah, I think that's one of the great things that we want in every aspect of iOS is I yeah. still I still think it's funny given the way that things are sandboxed and stored and with iCloud for settings that apps couldn't specifically enable multi-user mode that would be supported at iOS level. And I'm, I'm disappointed it's not there by 10. Do I would expect, I know Apple wants to sell more devices, but people work around it. It's not like people are buying two iPads because they're so frustrated with it. It just seems like 
Apple could solve the problem. And uh, I heard Jason it's sell. Probably not a priority for yeah, them. I know. It's just, uh, <laughs> family sharing is you know the same thing. It's like it's these things that when newsstand was um, introduced and like this is a great amazing thing that's going to happen. It's like well maybe not so much now we're ignoring it. And same thing family sharing <laughs> and Apple still treats devices as if they are single uh, user systems. And I, I hate it. Um, so, you know, just by the way, speaking of um, of rants that keep coming back is uh, I've noticed that multiple people at Macworld in the last week or so have said, would iCloud just get enough storage for every device you buy? Just give us the same amount of online storage yes. of our device and add that up because it's ridiculous. And I, you know, you and I have been complaining about that forever. I know a lot of other people have, but it was funny to see a wave again of why am I paying for, you know, if I'm paying for 200 gigabytes or whatever of iCloud storage and I have family sharing enabled, why isn't it shared or why can't, you know, it's just, these things are just annoying even when it's not a lot of money involved because yeah, I think you and Jason Snell have both written about why, <sighs> why, why can't like my husband and I both all of our iPhone photos dump into one iCloud photo library. Like, why can't we share it's, that? It's just, I know it's just a, uh, it's an indication that systems behind the scenes are not well designed. It's not that Apple, I think in many cases, doesn't want to do it. I think it's that they literally cannot modify their ancient backend systems. Um, I have this, I have this creeping sensation that one day we're going to wake up and everything is going to be different. The whole world will have changed. Susie. No, but that Apple is working. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a multi-year backend project to actually migrate all of their payment and all their other nonsense that's so creaky and weird and doesn't work well and account, you know, the fact you can't merge Apple IDs and all this. There must be, I have to believe my heart of hearts. I think they've talked about but it a little bit. Have about they? Yeah, yeah, about but, how like the, the iCloud back end is all being worked on. Well, but I don't know if it affects Maybe, the question. Does like it affect when they talk Apple to John ID? Gruber or something? Well, but does it oh, affect... I don't know about that That's Apple ID thing. problem. I mean, so that should go in with it. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, that, so that system, I think elements of it date to the 1990s and mm -hmm. i'm sure it's not exactly the same code i don't know if they're still running web objects behind the scenes i don't think so even though you still see web objects paths exposed maybe they are i don't know but i have in my heart i hope that they actually have a team working because the transition is going to be massive and painful they might actually have to ask us to opt into a transition like with two-step uh, verification versus uh, two-factor authentica authentication, which wasn't an automatic update. Um, in fact, the fellow I know, he's an intern at NPR right now. He uh, just had, he basically lost his Apple ID recently, his phone. Uh, he had not stored his recovery key and he was using two-step verification. He had a problem with the phone. Apple tried to help him. He couldn't get the number back. The phone locked up. This whole sequence of things in the end. I'm like, did you ever get the right pieces in place? He's like, nope. I lost my password, lost recovery ID. I've lost everything associated with that Apple ID. I'm just starting fresh. So he lost some music and some purchases. Fortunately, not a terrible thing, but it's this kind of thing. So because some people are still on two-step verification, they're stuck with a method that's essentially unrecoverable and Apple has not pushed people off that yet. So I don't know. I'm just hoping that all of those kinds of weirdnesses will eventually be solved. But, but the, uh, related to this talking about Apple simplifying, making things better, the uh, change in uh, Apple music uh, and iTunes match, how those are going to interact, I think is pro-consumer, don't you? Yes, <laughs> it is. I try to think so the problem with iCloud Music Library, if you guys remember, was if you subscribed to Apple Music, you have to turn on iCloud Music Library because that's how it syncs your collection from device to device. The problem is if you already have music in your iTunes library, your iCloud music library tries to match that on all your devices. It doesn't actually move the files. What it does is it kind of matches them to songs that are in the cloud, and then you can download or stream those. So what it would do is if you had, say, a bunch of Grateful Dead or Fish, because they're awesome, they're playing in San Francisco tonight, um, if you have them on your iPod, it's probably a live show. And then Apple would just look at the titles and say, oh, okay, so that 15 minute down with disease that was amazing, we're just going to match it to like the four minute album version from 20 years ago that is dumb. 
And that's how it was matching. It was just matching simple on, you know, names and, and artists and track names. And that was leading a lot of people to problems. And it, Jim Dalrymple ran into problems. I ran into problems. There was a lot of uh, Sturm and Drang around that. Um, if you have iTunes Match, which was a separate $25 a year service that predated Apple Music, um, you, they would match with a more sophisticated acoustic fingerprinting where it would actually like make you know a little fingerprint of that song and then match that to a database where it could determine between different versions of songs, a live version, a cover version, whatever, um, you know, the radio edit. So <laughs> it would right. know, it would be able to tell different songs apart even if they had the same artist and name. Um, so Apple is going to use that acoustic fingerprinting technology with Apple Music's Yay. iCloud Music Library. So if you have Apple Music and iTunes Match, you no longer need to pay for iTunes Match. Um, but they're rolling it out slowly, so you should probably wait for Apple to like come to you before you turn it off. I don't know if they're offering prorated refunds. You could ask about that. They oh, might yeah. give you some of your money back if you just paid. I looked at Apple. Uh, I looked at. I have iTunes Match, and I subscribed to Apple Music for several months, and then I realized I wasn't a. I wasn't using it enough to be worth $10 a month. But B, uh, I have Amazon Prime and I for, like, oh, I wonder what Amazon Prime's music thing is like. I download its OS X software. I'm like, oh, I'm already paying for kind of a lot of the stuff I'm listening to is available for free streaming at Amazon Prime. So yeah. like, for now, I'm just going to do that. But It's I had, the worst of the music services, but if it's good enough for like what you want like, and you already have it, then you know, exactly. my needs, My needs are minimal. I did a bunch of discovery and enjoyed Apple Music quite a lot. And then my discovery tapered off so much that it's just, it's, you know, it's an extra $120 a year for something I don't need and I can resume at any time. Yeah. But I checked and I had iTunes match turned on. I turned it off out of curiosity uh, and with Apple Music turned off. And it just says, you know, we won't renew it in September 2016. So ostensibly you might be able to get it prorated, but you're going to have to do something special, I think, because uh, – Yeah, you'd probably have to contact them and yeah, ask. they probably do it. But that's nice. I mean, so if you're already spending $120 a year, Apple is now essentially giving you – iTunes match back. isn't going away right. because if you don't well, have Apple Music and you just want to iTunes match your collection right. between your, you know, various Macs and iOS devices, you can do that. Like that 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 still works for all the people that did that before Apple Music. They're not interested in Apple Music. They don't want streaming. iTunes match will keep working for you for 25 bucks a year. So this only affects the people who had Apple Music and iTunes match no longer have to pay for iTunes Match. And if you had Apple Music without iTunes Match and you had these iCloud Music Library problems, those should go away. iCloud Music Library should work better once this gets you know everywhere. Um, so one fly in that ointment, I heard a little birdie say that it's possible iTunes Match might go away now that Apple Music has this Built in. I mean, it could, but it's kind of nice to offer as an a la carte. I mean, if you're already using the technology, why not just offer it on the side to the people who just want to pay 25 bucks a month? Because there's going to be a, a year, because there's going to be a lot of people who are like you who don't want Apple Music. But, you know, iTunes Match is a really cool solution for people who have a big music collection. It's true. However, here's my wondering head on, my wondering hat. A wondering, wondering hat is does Apple have a spreadsheet that shows that? If they get rid of iTunes Match, they acquire enough people with Apple with uh, oh, Apple yeah. Music that it's worth getting rid of iTunes Match and pissing some people off because yeah. the revenue enhanced. And unfortunately, I feel like Apple has made that decision where they've gone for you know seemingly in some ways minor or major revenue increases at the expense of annoying customers. In this case, I don't see why they wouldn't run both services now, especially now that they're distinct. And that they make that they work uh, the matching being essentially identical um, or being actually identical uh, and then being distinct services. Now it's even more explicable. It's a better time to keep them both. But I would not be surprised if Apple said this is a great offering we had. Now it's encompassed or incorporated fully in Apple Music. So uh, at the end of people's current iTunes match subscriptions, you'll be offered an opportunity to transition to Apple Music. But we'll see. 
And if they can convince people that this is fixing, you know, the confusion and the problem, because most of it, when, when the, you know, the Apple deleted my music, when all that like kerfluffle was going on, you know, the, the cooler heads were saying, look guys, like this isn't a bug. This is just widespread confusion as to how it all works. And Apple isn't doing a good enough job of like explaining how it all works, what the different products do, how they work together, what settings, you know, Joe can consumer has to like, you know, put on to get the result that he wants. So that if, if, if this can, can solve that problem, you know, that, that could lead to a, a faster, you know, growth for them just because people know what the heck they're buying and how it's supposed to work. But in the world of subscriptions, you want to cater to the whales, you know, and like between Apple Music and iTunes Match, Apple Music people are paying you a lot more. They're paying you every month. They do have a chance to quit every month where iTunes Match people will probably forget about you for a year and then, you know, think like, oh, I should have quit after they're already charged the 25 bucks. But still, your Apple Music customers are your whales and your iTunes Match customers are your, you know, minnows or whatever. So over time, you know, Apple's probably going to be doing a little more for the whales. But I, I think they should keep iTunes Match around. Won't somebody do something for the whales? Won't somebody save those Won't whales? Won't someone think of the minnows? The minnows. Uh, well, you know how it works in Las Vegas. If you're a whale, you get free rooms. You get the royal treatments. If you're a minnow, you get the... It's like the same thing with the freemium the games, buffet. you know? Like, there's ways to, like, do well without playing the money. But, you know, they're... The, 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 the developers are really working for the people who are going to be paying them over yeah. and over and over again. Well, the whales. I get that. I get that. I just, yeah, I think Apple has enough flexibility in its budget. It could be absolutely more polite to minnows. Um, it's just, <laughs> nobody likes to be nickel and dimed is the thing. And nobody likes to be forced to pay for something they don't need. And that's where yeah. I feel on the service side, Apple, I, I keep feeling, this is why I say, like saying before, I hope they're working on Apple ID stuff behind the scenes, but I also hope they could reform and make more sensible the whole iCloud storage system because I feel like there's all these different pieces. Now, I'm using iCloud Photo Library, and I'm paying for iCloud storage. I can't share the storage with other people in my family. But oh, also, that's a good question, but too. But also, about... it's like the increments are weird. They only bill me monthly. I'm like, let me pay once. I don't want a monthly bill for iCloud storage. Let me pay yearly. And pro, you know, the, all these little things that are system limited as opposed to business model intentional. So, um, well, let's uh, move on to uh, just quickly. The, there's Wait, a f- there's one more question. Oh, I'm sorry. What is the, that? The, the other thing we don't know about oh, this yes. Apple Music iTunes Match um story that was brought up to me on Twitter was if you have Apple Music without iTunes Match, how much storage do you get for the stuff that isn't in the iTunes store? So when they match it, they match it to like they have a copy of like almost everything right in the iTunes store. So they're not uploading your music to the cloud and making you your own little cloud storage locker. They just have like a checklist somewhere and they're saying, yep, you own this album and this album and this album. And then when you're streaming it, you're streaming the version from the store. But if you have iTunes Match and there's, you know, your precious collection, your imports and your live stuff that isn't in the iTunes store, Apple does actually upload it and that's part of like your $25 month fee. So the question is... Is that part of the $25 fee? Yeah, they upload it. They upload it, but don't you pay for that storage space? Uh, Isn't that part of your iCloud storage space? I'm just looking at the... Uh, no, if, yeah, I feel, is it part of your iCloud storage I space? Because that's believe, what I'm wondering about Apple Music. If you have Apple Music now without <sighs> iTunes Match and they do end up uploading some stuff, like does that count against your iCloud? So I'm going to try to find that out. I'll ask Apple. It's funny. I'm looking at the fact as we, as we speak and it doesn't actually... It doesn't say. It's confusing still. I know. It's, and I thought my recollection was that uh, if you um, if you uploaded songs that all the songs that weren't uploaded actually counted against your iCloud storage. Maybe that's not right. Because um, does it keep them there? Or does it kind of just sync them to places? I'd never had iTunes Match, so I'm still a little it, bit fuzzy on it how keeps it works. The, you can't, I and mean, the thing that's weird about it is you can't access it. It's not a part of iCloud that you have access to. It's right, a part they're not that in Apple your iCloud does. Drive. That would be kind of dope if they were just right. in your iCloud and Drive. I'm looking at the fact, and it doesn't actually Because then people would, like think, can't understand start, that. I can't upload something. songs larger than 200 megabytes. Um, I may be wrong. It's possible that because they don't... Uh, it doesn't say. Isn't that funny? I've been using it for years. I think it's a great service. Yeah, I thought that's service. why they had, they had a limit on how many tracks iTunes Match could you know support. And I think that was why, because they knew that most the bulk of whoever's 
I think the limit was like, say it was 20,000 tracks. 100,000 that aren't yeah, matched. Yeah, they've so moved it. It's 100,000 that aren't it. matched against its library. So yeah. 100,000 songs. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be very and hard then, to do unless you're- And they know that the bulk of that is going to be in the iTunes store unless like you only listen to like, you know, obscure imports of like sitar music or, or something. Or if you're a Fish fan, there's easily 100,000. Or if you're a Fish fan and your entire 100,000 uh, song collection easily, is sure different versions of You Enjoy Myself. Exactly. I, could you Have they performed? They probably have 100,000 tracks, right? From other concerts. Maybe. Well, they've been playing together since like the late eighties. They do a thousand concerts a year, and <laughs> they do they do like they've done years they do where they do of, like a hundred concerts. Yeah, it's they've huh. slowed down a little bit more now that they're like middle aged. So uh, that's interesting. I'm sure someone has a they're statistic. They're playing a three night run in San Francisco, like starting tonight. I'm not, or actually last night was tonight's the second night. I didn't I didn't get tickets. If I were Marco Arment, I would be able to immediately tell you how many fish tracks there were, but I do not. I do not know. Yeah, I, they haven't caught up with the dead yet. I I bet, that's but funny. they're 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 going to. Uh, all right. So uh, next up, we're, we're gonna we've got a couple other things we're gonna talk about uh, briefly. One is uh, new updates for. Um, there's no new betas coming yet, but there's uh, new updates they're for coming. They're, but, they haven't come out in a while. Yeah, but there's new updates for uh, every uh, Apple operating system has some minor update. A lot of security issues fixed. Nothing that looked um, really odd. Um, uh, no, really difficult Just got updates for iOS nine. Yeah. Um, TV OS for the Apple TV, uh, watch OS for the Apple watch, of course, and OS 10 for your Macintosh computers. I did get a, uh, email from a, uh, security firm saying that, uh, they had discovered the bug. There was one, it was a little ugly, but it would be hard to, to, uh, deal with is that, uh, Safari could allow an application to access cookies for, that weren't, um, related to, that weren't related to the site that someone was visiting. And that could be bad because sometimes cookies contain tokens that are temporary. They might last for a day or a week or an hour that let you log into a site. So we learned about the danger behind tokens in the Pokemon go last week. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so same kind of thing. So you can access cookies from someone's browser. So that's been fixed in 10.11.6. Uh, Another thing. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a there was something you had a note here. Uh, Jason Snell had discovered a, uh, oh. a fix for an iOS 10 beta bug. Yeah, as long as we're talking about platforms, so we haven't seen a new beta in a little bit. Maybe there'll be one this week, and we can update the betas. But um, yeah, there's a weird bug in iOS 10 that um, if you're listening to if you're listening on headphones, it doesn't happen. But if you're listening to a podcast or if you're watching TV or a movie um, through the speakers. Um, sometimes you'll notice that the audio keeps pausing and you have to, if, if it's a video, sometimes it'll just blip and keep playing. And if it's a podcast, sometimes it'll pause itself and you'll have to play it again. Um, it turns out that it's, it's Hey Siri. It's listening oh, for Hey Siri and it's, you need a telephone, quick. A whole telephone. Yeah. Yeah. So I noticed like it, I was watching, I was binge watching Real Housewives on the iPad and one of them kept saying, are you serious? And it would kind of blip. And then if you turn off Hey Siri, that's going to go away. It also happened when I was driving down to Cupertino. I was listening to podcasts and it kept pausing. My recollections, I met Are You Serious from uh, Mondo 2000, the uh, late lamented. Are You uh, Serious? No, no. Are You Serious is the, one of the editors of uh, Mondo 2000, a publication oh, that was way so far ahead of its yes, time. Yes. We still haven't caught up to it. That's the I, joke is, you know, was, I was 10 years ahead of my time. Now I'm five years behind. What do you do about that? Uh, time so, keeps on yes, slipping. Sorry. Slipping, slipping into the future. <laughs> it's it's hard being a futurist. Uh, one other thing I want to – two other things actually I want to bring up in passing. One, uh, it's a week old now, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. It got highlighted I think by John Gruber as well. Uh, BB Edit, the uh, text editing programming uh, assisting environment that I use to write basically everything where I'm not obliged to – write collaboratively in Google Docs or I have to put formatting as I go um, with other people, I uh, use BB Edit to do all my writing, not just my programming. And a um, piece of favorite software, they came out with version 11.6. And it's, BB Edit goes back 25 plus years now, I think. And this new version, they changed their demo mode. Um, so BB Edit, there used to be BB Edit Lite. Then there was Text Wrangler, which was free, uh, freestanding software that had a subset of BB edit features. And uh, I've recommended text wrangler to a lot of people who uh, there's some HTML encoding features that are essentially more professional that you pay to use in BB edit and text wrangler was 
almost everything. It was actually a really great thing. So whenever anyone needed a text editor, I'd say get Text Wrangler is free. If you like it, you can yeah, always I upgrade. Yeah, I have Text Wrangler. I love yeah. it. Uh, so now they're changing this again. What they're doing is in version 11.6, they're releasing um, it as trialware. So for 30 days, you get 100% of the features in BB Edit. After 30 days, all it does is it disables a handful of features that are um, that are these advanced features like uh, web authoring and a few other things. Um, and you don't have to reinstall software and you don't have to upgrade from text expander to BB edit. And it means their entire code base is now synchronized. So everyone is using the same interface. Some people will be using a free version that's in sort of permanent demonstration mode. It's not demonstration, mode; it's just permanently available at any time you can upgrade. And it'll also the promo part, the kind of freemium thing is it'll label menus that aren't available with, uh, with demo. So if you want to, um, if you want to use that, you'll know, that you can just purchase and upgrade them. And I think that's kind of a nice thing because uh, most people don't need most of those features. Programmers do and they already pay or they pay upgrade fees, but it's a great way for them to introduce themselves to a bigger audience. So just one more modality for developers to try to reach customers. Big, hard, big, big problem to get to people. Um, and one last thing, speaking of customers, uh, I got a story up that's on the various IDG sites today. Um, this very funny thing about um, HaHa ransomware, sorry. Not a very funny subject, but uh, uh, this is kind of funny though. It is fun. so ransomware. It's not funny, haha. Ransomware is a weird thing. Uh, the crypto ransomware, uh, ransomware itself dates back decades, apparently, which I did not know. Um, there's always been attempts to hijack people's machines, uh, but the big problem was payment, and Bitco Bitcoin solves the payment problem. People may not use Bitcoin readily. There's a very small subset of all people in the world use it. Ransomware people love it because they can make you go figure out how to obtain Bitcoin <laughs> in order to pay them. Uh, and they use the Tor network, which is used to help, uh, you know, people use it, uh, political activists use it, other folks use it to obscure their identity. Tor takes your transactions and it um, kind of uh, tunnels them through intermediate machines so that it's impossible, or I should say it's impossible, it's very difficult for someone looking at the traffic coming out and going to a website at the end to track it back and understand who sent the request. And uh, this aids criminals. Unfortunately, it has a lot of very uh, beneficial uses, uh, but the criminal side, which represents a very tiny portion of the overall usage, uh, lets ransomware uh, creators essentially disguise where they are in order to have people reach them. But the funny part is, uh, so you know about... Uh, Susie, I know you're an expert of uh, on uh, piracy on the high seas. This is one of your interests. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know the whole way. I heard this great Planet Money story a few years ago about how piracy works as a um, economic or as like a business. The reason I was always thinking, gosh, it must be so terrifying when this happens. And they're like, no, it really mutually isn't because the pirates are professional. They're divided into there's like there's like a group that funds them in Somalia and other places. You know, Somalia is unfortunately because relatively lawless has become a was a big center of it, and a lot of ships pass over the water. But there's all these different groups. They distribute it. They're like shares. Um, it's all very well regulated. It's backed by violence. Of course, you don't actually do what you're supposed to do. You can get killed, I'm sure. Uh, but the pirates who hijack a ship, it is in their hundred percent best interest to keep everyone alive and healthy and treat people well, because if you kill the hostages, people stop paying. And in fact. When there were some pro uh, prominent instances in which hostages were not treated well or were, some were killed or all of them were killed, um, the, basically the warships from the great powers poured in and like, you know, picked off the pirates and things changed. And I don't know how that's developed again. Ransomware creators have to unencrypt your files. If they don't, no one pays. And they can't ask too much money because if they ask too much money, people just say, I don't have it. I can't pay. I'm, you know, I don't have $2,000 or $10,000 to decrypt my files. Um, so... The other part of that, and that's what the story was about, is uh, F-Secure, the company that makes security, uh, you know, anti-malware, other security software for uh, consumers and businesses, they did a customer service report and they evaluated malware or ransomware as if it were a you know, product because you have to have customer service in order to accept the payment from people. People don't, you know, they, like, how do I buy Bitcoin? And some of the places are, they have remarkably helpful customer service people helping people get their files back. And I, it's, it's sort of hilarious and awful at the same time. It is. 
Uh, it's the modern like so world. So much today, yeah. hilarious and awful. At the I just, same I know, time. and you know, and the thing is, as Mac owners, we've been very, very. There have been a couple uh, ransomware examples in the wild, but they haven't had a good vector to spread. And I've been interviewing folks about ransomware recently, and the thing that I keep hearing from everybody is, you know, it is, it's a real problem, and it's growing because it's low hanging fruit, and the Bitcoin plus Tor thing lets uh, uh, attackers exploit it and so forth, and it'll pass. Like it's a, it's in a bolt, it's in a kind of a a bloom right now, but they said it's really mostly affecting the usual suspects. It's like people with out-of-date systems like Windows XP, people who haven't patched their operating system, people running Flash. Flash has a continuous series of major exploits. Um, any Apple user listening, any Mac user rather, uh, don't use Flash. I mean, use Click to Flash if you really need it, but don't have Flash enabled as something automatic and update it whenever you're prompted to do so because Flash is basically, uh, you know, it's a vile uh, hive of scum and villainy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the Moz Isley of software right now. Um, and it's not going to get any better. Adobe eventually is going to sunset it and there will be no more Flash. But for now, don't let it run by default. And that's the one vector that Mac uh, users would most likely be infected by. Uh, but Java as well, running Java as a default thing in the web browser is very difficult to do uh, in OS X now, but it's much easier to do in Windows and some other platforms. So if you're up to date, if you don't, Go to, uh, I've said in the past, don't go to up software update sites to download software. Only go to the developer site because software update sites can sometimes either spread adware or other kinds of wear or uh, files get infected because they're not exercising enough security. And then that file is downloaded and it installs, you know, ransomware in your machine or something. Um, and, you know, don't open mysterious files from people you don't know. The usual stuff, you just have to do it. But so ransomware has gotten a lot of attention because, uh, you know, hospitals have been locked down and, and schools and so forth. But um, it's definitely a problem. And Mac users should exercise care. But uh, you can use this F-Secure report to know your, your preferential infection vector. Who is best to be infected by? <laughs> <laughs> the Better Business Bureau of oh, Hackers. I know. It's a, very, it's a very strange world we live in. But, uh, you know, the other thing is I was just reading some – there's some new research about better ways to uh, – because ransomware does very specific things, it actually scans the directory for files, uses certain APIs in operating systems, it encrypts files. So documents suddenly are 100% different, and there's ways to measure the entropy in a document. So you can see, well, this is 100% different from this other, and this one program has now changed you know, 50 files so that they're 100% different. It's probably malware. So let's stop it, or at least prompt someone and say, did you really mean to do this to all these files? So there's, there's help coming for people who are on systems that are not OS X, but again... OS 10 users, don't be too relaxed. Be vigilant. Uh, Susie, I think that wraps up what we've got for this week. It was a good week. Yeah, it's a, it's a summer. Things aren't quite as busy, but we'll have more to talk about uh, next week. Uh, There's always something. Apple earnings are next week, so we'll have to be able to talk about um, how many billions and billions of dollars. Uh, you know, Apple's doomed, apparently, Susie. Uh, we'll be talking about how Apple's doomed next week. I and, bet they sold a few iPhones. Uh, they might have. I'm really curious. I mean, this is, you know, there's a narrative there that we don't buy into because uh, I think we're more rational and look at longer <laughs> longer period of history. But it is an issue if growth continues to stall. What does that mean for a company that has vast amounts of money in the bank and still is vastly profitable? If growth isn't there, but they're still doing incredibly well, what does that mean? You know, that's an interesting thing to ask about a business because usually when growth stalls, it then – Companies don't – many companies don't have um, staying power in the technology world. In other fields, they do. But this is an interesting, unique case Apple is in. So we'll talk about that. In a few weeks, we'll be talking more about uh, programming and kids. And uh, you can always find us online, you know, at Macworld.com and write us at podcasts at Macworld.com. Let us know what you're interested in this summer, this quiet summer. And uh, Susie, great to talk to you as always. Thanks. You too. A pleasure, and this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 517 for July 13th, 2016. Come back again and give us a listen next week, folks, and thanks for being with us. 